Hey guys, it's Matt here, and I got a story for you. When I was a kid, I was playing hockey, and oh man, there was this one year, this one team, we could not beat these guys. They were all over us. There were competitive games, though. They were tight, but we just could not beat them. And I remember the last game of the year, it was up against this team, and we were gearing up. We were like, we have to get these guys. When we won that last game, it was so satisfying because we finally got the victory over the team that had dummied us, that had dominated us for so long. I think this is the same thing with sexual brokenness, with sexual sin, where there's been brokenness in our lives and the enemy has come and taken ground and he's dominated us for so long, but we get to make a difference. We get to be part of a message and a a mission of freedom. It is such a cool opportunity. So I want to invite you, men and women of any age, to be part of the Action Squad. The Action Squad is something that we're putting together right now. We're looking for 100 people to be on the Action Squad. There's going to be some competitive nature to it. There's prizes. And we're going to work together to help produce a documentary that is literally going to change the world. We're featuring stories of sexual brokenness, of people who have been restored and redeemed, reconciled to God and to people in their their lives. And we're going to feature these stories in this world-class documentary that will be a resource for churches to host movie nights, for small small groups to watch together, for families to watch and be inspired by. And it's going to highlight the problem in the church, but also show the, the power of God that is at work when we bring this stuff to light. And so if you want to be part of the Action Squad and help us put this documentary together, I would love for you to go to restoredministries.ca slash Action Squad. You can watch a 10-minute video there that I put together on what it can look like for you to join us in this mission and be part of putting this documentary together. So restoredministries.ca slash Action Squad. Hope to see you there. Hey guys, it's Matt here. And before we get going, we just want to thank our episode sponsor, KB Crypto. Do you want to see your money work for you? Featured in Google Finance and Business Insider, KB Crypto is paying weekly profits of up to 15% monthly to those who invest even just one time. There are no hidden fees, an AI-based trading pool, and full access to the company's financials for investors. You can find KB Crypto on YouTube, Instagram, and at kbcrypto.ai. Welcome to the Pure Victory Podcast, full of hot tips to help you win at sex, conquer porn, and find purpose in staying free forever. Here are your hosts, Matt Klein and Braden Hafner. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Pure Victory Podcast. Excited to be with you guys again. Matt, across from me, and this is, of course, Brad, and thanks, guys, for checking in with us. We have an amazing guest today that we are really excited to have. She is uh, an amazing voice in regards to, I think, Matt, you were talking about writing the ship sexually <laughs> in regards yeah. to bringing health and better understanding and what that means. And so this is Sheila Ray Gregor. Sorry, Sheila. Do you do you prefer Sheila Gregor or Sheila Ray Gregor? Sheila Gregor is fine. It doesn't matter. Really. Okay. <laughs> we'll go Sheila Gregor because you know it's it's easier for me. But uh, Sheila, thanks so much for being here, and we love what you're doing. So if you don't know Sheila, we would highly recommend that you check her out. She is an author, podcaster. She has a great podcast called the Bear Marriage Podcast, or just Bear Marriage Podcast. Great podcast and her website to love, honor, and vacuum. She has great blogs, great resources there. She runs uh, events. She's a speaker. And she has, well, we mentioned an author as well, written nine books, I think, Sheila. Is that right? Is that what your count is right so. now? I think so. point <laughs> <laughs> where it's hard to keep count. We get it. <laughs> we really appreciate you, Sheila. And thanks for being on with us today. 
Yeah, it's great to be here, especially something Canadian. I love your accents. Like I, I've been, I've been talking all to Americans, and it gets kind of boring. So it's nice to be back in Canada. Eh? So. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's, right. That's right. Those those people think you have the accent, but really, it's them. I know. I think we have an absence of accent, but hey, uh, our American friends think otherwise. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Sheila, you you've been busy lately. You've been promoting your new book, The Great Sex Rescue, and it's such a great resource for people. But can you just share what put that on your heart to write that? I know you did a lot of study, but what was the driving force in that? Yeah, well, okay, there's a bit of a story. I have been blogging and speaking about sex for years. Like we started speaking at family life marriage conferences, my husband and I back in like 2005, 2006. And Keith and I always did the sex talk because other than Paul and Eleanor Henderson, no one else wanted to do them, you know? So (laughs) we were doing the sex talk for years. Um, I started writing a sex column for Promise Keepers magazine. Um, I just somehow got pigeonholed into this sex track. And so then in 2012, I wrote The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex. I was blogging about sex every day. I created an orgasm course, a libido course. I'm just all sex all the time. And then one day in January of 2019, I had a migraine and I didn't want to work. And I was on Twitter and people were debating love and respect. Like somebody was saying, well, I need respect, not just love, even though I'm a woman. And I was trying to procrastinate. I was trying to find a good reason not to have to work. And so I thought, you know, I have that book on the shelf and I've never read it. So I went down, I went and I got it and I opened it up to the sex chapter because that's all that really mattered to me at the time. And I read Love and Respect on Sex and it was like an atomic bomb went off in my living room. And I'm not even exaggerating because he said, if your husband is typical, he has a need you don't have. So he's telling women they don't need sex. His need is for physical release. She doesn't need physical release. She needs emotional release, whatever that means. I I picture Sandra Bullock and the proposal, like running (laughs) around in the woods with Betty White. Like I have no idea. But anyway, (laughs) (laughs) Um, um, husband will come under satanic attack if he doesn't get physical release. He, He will have an affair and the affairs are usually caused, not always, but usually caused by women not having sex. And she needs to understand his struggle with lust. And that was the entire chapter. There was not a single word about how women can feel pleasure too. In fact, he even said to women, why would you not do something which takes so little time and makes him so happy? So he's even saying sex doesn't take very long, which, you know, if women want good sex, it tends to take a little longer. So he, nothing about women at all. And just that women can't say no. And I thought to myself, holy cow, if this is what we're, the evangelical world is saying about sex, no wonder we have the problems we're having. And it's going to sound weird, but I'd never read another marriage book before that because I always was so afraid of plagiarizing. So like I had recommended Love and Respect because everyone told me it was a great book and right. I never realized what was actually in it. And so we started to look at other bestsellers, my team and I, and we realized we got to do something about this. And we decided to go big or go home. So we thought we are just going to do the biggest study that's ever been done of Christian women. We surveyed 20,000 women, hundred, wow. at least 130 questions each. For many, it was more. It depended on whether you were married for more than once or not. We looked at all the peer-reviewed research on what makes sex great. We looked at the best-selling Christian sex and marriage books and put them through a 12-point rubric for healthy sexuality. And we uncovered why sex can be bad for women and why we have a 47 point orgasm gap. And now I can now confidently say 
which teachings in the evangelical church are wrecking sex for couples. Wow. That's a mouthful for us to take in. And I mean, it's just something that I, I don't think we've understood to this point, right? Like you, a lot of mm-hmm. good, well-meaning people out there have given bad advice and it's caused harm. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and so we're, 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 this is where we're left at. And so unpack that. What are, what are some things that have been taught that are just so wrong and causing so much harm? Okay. Well, let's go back to the beginning. Sure. All right. If I were to ask you a super awkward question, which I'm not expecting either of you to actually answer, but if I were to say to you, did you have sex last night? Okay. What you're picturing in your head is something very specific, most likely. Like what you think I'm asking is something along the lines of, did you put your penis inside her vagina, move around until you climaxed? Like that's what we think when we hear the word sex. What if that definition of sex is part of the problem. Mm. Because with that definition, she could be lying there making a grocery list in her head. Like she could be totally uninvolved. Um, She could be lying there in emotional turmoil. She could even be in physical pain and it would still count as having sex. Because in our common definition of sex, her experience is an afterthought. Like if she feels good, it's a bonus, but it's not integral to the main thing. Yeah. And so the way that we think about sex is intercourse where he climaxes. And so her experience is like, yeah, it just, it just isn't part of the equation. And so when we hear verses like, do not deprive each other except for a time, then we'll say, see, she's supposed to have sex with him. And we forget that's, that may not be the biblical definition of sex. Mm. And so maybe we need to take a huge step back and say, what does the Bible actually mean by sex? Like what did God intend when he makes, when he made sex? And I don't think it's just one-sided intercourse. Yeah. And the other thing with that, even from a guy's perspective is when I got married, I was really surprised that by having sex, it wasn't even just the physical part of it that I enjoyed. It was the emotional connection. It's still the emotional Mm -hmm. connection. That's my favorite part. And so as a man, then I'm realizing that and I'm like, wait a second, this isn't what I've been told either. This is, I've been told that I'm just there for the physical, that she's there for the emotional, but I'm experiencing joy emotionally. And so I'm like, this is backwards to what I was always told as a single person. So yeah. I can see how it would be flipped also on the, on the women's angle. And it is so damaging. So can you just talk about like expand on that? What does that do to a woman? not just sexually, but just in, in life and confidence in marriage, what does that do to a woman when she's kind of feeling obligated or pressured into just being there for him? Yeah. Well, let's get back to what I think the biblical definition of sex is, because I think that'll, that'll inform that question. So there's this really funny expression in Genesis chapter four, if you read it and in English, it says, and Adam knew his wife Eve and they conceived a son. And I remember I was 13 years old. I'm sitting in the pew at church and you know, the pastor opens his Bible and reads that in the King James, Adam knew his wife Eve and all of us, I'm sitting beside all my friends and we all start laughing and the, the bench is, is shaking. Cause we think that's hilarious. You know, like God is embarrassed of, of saying the real word, right. but actually when you look at the Hebrew there to know is the same word that David uses in the Psalms when he he says, search me and know me. Mm -hmm. And God is saying exactly what you were saying just a minute ago, which is sex is not just physical. It's this deep joining, this deep longing to be intimate. So we know that sex is intimate. 
we know that sex is pleasurable from Song of Songs, right? The whole thing is about how great it is. And in 1 Corinthians 7, those who do not deprive verses, we see that it's supposed to be totally mutual. So biblically, sex is intimate, pleasurable, and mutual. It's about both of them together. And that means that both people's needs matter. And what both people want needs to matter. And so often in our resources, we've told women, you don't matter. In fact, not only do you not matter, you don't have the right to refuse. Mm. When, when we looked at our 12-point rubric of healthy sexuality, the one marker of healthy sexual teaching that our book scored the worst on was the one about consent. In fact, we looked at, we looked at 13 Christian books. Not a single one of them even used the word consent. Like we simply do not talk about consent in marriage. Mm. And yet a lot of books had illustrations of marital rape mm. and they didn't call it out as something bad. His needs, her needs um, said, as one 32 year old executive put it, I feel like I'm begging her or even raping her, but I can't help it. I need to make love. Oh my gosh. And he left it at that. In the act of marriage, um, Tim LaHaye told the story about, a young woman who's getting married and her aunt Matilda comes to her and tells her that marriage is just legalized rape and it's, it's awful. And Tim LaHaye is painting Matilda as the antagonist, as the bad person in this story, because she's wrecking sex for her niece. But he goes on and explains that on Matilda's wedding night, her clumsy older husband had held her down while she was kicking and screaming and raped her. And this continued throughout their marriage. And so neither of them had ever learned how great sex was. And so here's aunt Matilda and her equally unhappy husband. So he calls the rapist equally unhappy as his rape victim. And this is in a book that has sold like 4 million copies and has gone through multiple editions and nobody ever thought maybe we shouldn't do that. And Love and Respect, Power of a Praying Wife, Sheet Music by Kevin Lehman tells women that when you are postpartum or on your period, you need to give him um, a hand job or blow job every 72 hours so that he won't be tempted to watch porn. So after you have pushed a baby out of you, you're supposed to care primarily about that. And when women are given this message, what we now know is that it has really devastating consequences. Like that obligation sex message is highly correlated, not just with lower orgasm rates, lower rates of arousal, lower marital satisfaction, but to me the most important one is it is responsible for the reason that Christian women have twice the rate of vaginismus or sexual pain as the general population. And we've known that for years, the Christian women have higher rates of vaginismus, but now we know why. And it's the obligation sex message. Can you expand on that just in case people don't know what vaginismus is? Yeah, isn't that (laughs) interesting? People probably don't. Okay, so if I say erectile dysfunction, everyone knows what I'm talking about, right? Like if you watch The Price is Right, Wheel of Fortune, you're going to see the commercials, right? right? Like we all know erectile dysfunction. But if people under the age of 45, vaginismus is way more common. And we found an instance of 22% of women in our survey have had vaginismus 7% to the point that um, penetration is impossible. And vaginismus is a muscular pain condition where the muscles of the vaginal wall tighten so much involuntarily. She's not doing it on purpose, but she literally can't 
relax. And so it makes intercourse very painful, if not impossible. And there's journal articles, gynecology articles in like the 1970s that talk about how Christian women have this at a much higher rate. So we've known this, but we never talk about it. Mm. And it's really, it's, it's really damaging. Um, and again, the reason largely is because women are told you don't matter. And what's, what's also interesting is that obligation sex message has the same effect on vaginismus as prior abuse does. Wow. So abuse tells a woman, you don't matter. He has the right to use you however he wants. Yeah. And that's what the obligation sex message does too. So women's bodies interpret the message that the evangelical church has given us. We interpret that as trauma. Yeah. Because it is right. Yeah, exactly. It is. It's wow. not sex in God's design where you're serving each other. It's just using. Mm-hmm. And what, one thing that I hate about that message too, I love that you're talking from the women's angle, but for what we do, we, we teach guys to not be victims sexually. You're not a victim. You don't need to go to porn. You're made to be more than a conqueror. You can control your body. And mm-hmm. all these messages are saying that, guys, if your wife doesn't put out, you have to go to porn. You have to have an affair. And it's just so damaging. So from both angles, I find it interesting that guys who have this perspective, they're going, hey, I want this right now. This is something that my wife has to do for me. But then they end up not happy either because then they end up with shame and in an unhappy marriage and it's just not good all around. So yeah. Um, well, porn, porn and sex are polar opposites, right? right this, yeah. is the, this is the problem is that we think that they're substitutes for one another. So we think that if she has sex, he won't watch porn. But porn and sex are polar opposites because sex, biblical sex is a deep knowing of each other. Porn is a using of someone else for my own gratification. And so one cannot replace the other. And yet we have been taught again in like every man's battle says twice that women are the methadone for men's sex addictions. You know, once he quits cold turkey, be like a merciful vial of methadone for him. Like, I can't think of a more dehumanizing message for either men or women. But to say that, that women are literally methadone is, is highly damaging to both. And it's not humanizing. It's, it's, it, it is just reducing men to... Um, yeah, to just animals. Yeah, and men animals, are not yeah. like that. Men are men are made in the image of God. And the spirit of Christ lives in you. And that doesn't mean that you don't battle. And it doesn't mean it's not hard. But I think we can call people to more. <laughs> right. Right. And well, I, I love that what you just said. We can call people to more. Because, I mean, what you're talking about, it really seems like the overarching message that we've been receiving, I mean, as men is that we're takers, right? That we, we need Mm -hmm. something and we can't function unless we get it. And then our wives are told you need to serve. So we're takers, they're servers. How is that healthy? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, like if we're not both serving in, in this, um, one person is going to feel very diminished, like their needs don't matter, like they don't have a voice and they can't talk about it. Our wives can't speak about it because, hey, I'm supposed to be the good wife. I'm supposed to serve in this area. Mm-hmm. So it's wrong for me to have these thoughts that maybe I'm having, like I feel like I'm being used or I'm, I'm being diminished or I'm not cherished, whatever else, all these things. So you're, you're, as we're talking about this, this is heavy. What are what are some things that we can do to start to change this narrative? I mean, this the book you've written is great, but just down an individual level here, what, what are some things that we can change our mentality with so that we come to a place of better, better health? Well, one thing I really want men to understand is that a lot of times you are not the source of these messages. Mm -hmm. Like this is not your fault. 
You know, the reason that your wife feels like sex is a duty is not necessarily because you have made her feel that way. <laughs> and I really want men to get that, okay? Because that's the whole point of our book is that this is not a marriage problem. This is a church teaching problem. You know, if she grows up her whole life hearing these messages and then she reads them in a book he might be the best lover in the world right he might want nothing more than to make her sore and then to serve her but she isn't going to be able to let him because to let him means that she's admitting a need she's not supposed to have or it means she's not being a good wife because you know she's supposed to just give to him or it just might mean she's so internalized the obligation sex message that she truly hates sex and she is just going through the motions um and so i just want guys to know you didn't necessarily cause this i mean yes there's there's a minority i think it's around 28 29 percent of men who believe the obligation sex message but it is a minority so if you're in that minority get your head on straight that's not biblical give yourself a slap but for the rest of you, <laughs> you know, you're good guys. And it's not your fault that your wife was taught this. And um, we did a lot of focus groups afterwards to try to flesh out some of the stories from our surveys. And we had woman after woman sharing with us how their husbands had helped them overcome a lot of this bad messaging. And a lot of it was from husbands giving wives freedom to say no. So we had one woman um, named Kay and they had had this great sex life before they had kids. And then they were now, it was now after their third child, after each child that had gotten worse and worse, she'd had postpartum depression, she'd had um, some postpartum pain and it had just taken her a long time to recover, but she kept initiating every 72 hours because she's been taught like women are taught that this is what men need every 72 hours you need to initiate. And so she'd been doing that. She'd been going through the motions. She wasn't able to orgasm anymore. She wasn't enjoying it. He knew she wasn't enjoying it. And finally she said, I can't do this anymore. And she explained why she had been initiating, how she felt like he wouldn't be able to cope without sex, but she couldn't cope with sex the way it was. And he said, I never, ever want you to feel obligated. Like if we are in right in the middle of it, and you're like, no, I changed my mind. You need to tell me, and that's okay. And so she did. And it was like everything changed for her. Everything clicked again. And they, she was able to enjoy sex again. And now they've settled into a new pattern where they have sex and it's still every 72 hours. <laughs> but this time it's because that's what she wants. It's not that's what she feels she has to do. And that's what unlocked her body was her husband giving her permission to say no and i think back to what it says in genesis 4 1 that adam knew his wife and when she communicated that that hey i feel obligated or he communicated that no i don't want you to they're knowing each other they're getting to know each other and that creates safety in the marriage mm -hmm. i think it's beautiful so you mentioned the church um, the messaging around this other than just getting the message right how could churches address this like should there be sermons about it should there be programs about it what do you think that churches should do to address it um i think that there can be a lot more talk of biblical sexual ethics that aren't just about saving sex for marriage i think that that when we talk about sex we talk about it so much in terms of what you can and can't do and we don't talk about biblical sexual ethics that go beyond just marriage like there's ways that we should be treating each other that don't change whether we're married or not 
Like you should always be treating whoever you're with in a way that's humanizing and in a way that's dignifying. And that means that when you're not married, you're not going to use them sexually, but it means that when you are married, you're still going to treat them in a way that's humanizing and dignifying. And I think we, we see sex too much in terms of you don't do it before marriage and then you get to do whatever you want after marriage. And we don't talk enough about just how to treat each other well and what, and what sexuality means in terms of real intimacy. Um, and I think that's, I think we need to do a lot more of that. And specifically around the porn conversation too, I think we're doing so much wrong with that because we're making it into this bogeyman that's going to ruin sex for everybody. Um, And surveys don't actually show that. First of all, a lot fewer men are addicted to porn than we think. It's not, it's not like 80% of Christian men. Okay. (laughs) Even though you'll see surveys, it's not like 70% of pastors, you know, we just finished a a very large survey of men and got a much better picture of it. I just want to say, Sheila, I agree with that too, because there's different ministries that do what we do that always throw that out there. 70% of men and stuff. And I, when I go into churches, I just go, I don't, think so i don't think that that's accurate uh and so there i I, to be honest i think a lot of people want to validate their message by saying that and i just think it's putting harm in the church and speaking negatively about the bride of christ in a way that's not true so i totally am with you and i say that lots yeah and you know what message do we give to kids and youth groups like I know a young man in his twenties who started watching porn because his youth group told him that men that men are tempted towards porn Hmm. and he was a man, like a seriously masculine dude, but he was not tempted towards porn. And so he started doubting his masculinity. So he got into a two-year porn habit yeah. that he finally quit when he realized he wasn't respecting women anymore. But he got into it because of the way youth group talked about porn, how you're all going to be tempted by it. You're all going to want to watch it. Once you start watching it, you're not going to be able to stop. And it's like, okay, hold on a second here. It's like an advertisement, you know? Um, and But I think the other thing that churches do really badly is they equate sexual attraction with lust. And so I think a lot of men are walking around with such tremendous shame that they should not be feeling because Jesus does not say that whoever notices a woman has a nice chest has lusted after her. He said, whoever looks with lust has already committed adultery and noticing, seeing, even looking is not lust. It's looking with a deliberate mindset. And I think we have raised boys to think that girls are so dangerous and that boys are constantly sinning even when they're not. And that creates a real, really bad cycle where porn use is almost more inevitable and much harder to break. Really, the, I can think the undergirding aspect of all this is this this feeling of shame and guilt about sex and about mm-hmm. your own biological processes i mean you notice someone attractive right and and then you feel shame about that and guilt so anything regarding sex or anything regarding that attraction you just want to stifle or push underground because that's what you think you got to do and that's what the the messaging that we're given and then that has to change when you get married all of a sudden and how these two competing forces and it's like you're being pulled yeah. apart how do you navigate that, right? So um, it's, it's just really complex here and we've made it so complex. How do we give a better messaging here to help people like yeah. you're talking about, even that that young guy that uh, was coming up with porn? How do we talk about this in a way so that we're not creating more harm here? 
Yeah, I I really wish we just had a big chill pill that we could just go and say, really okay, church, just like chill here, okay? Like, you know, it is not a sin to be attracted to someone. It is not a sin to notice someone's pretty. It's not a sin to want to have sex with someone. You know, it is a sin to fantasize about it and to and to use them for your own gratification in whatever way that is. But beyond that, like our knack, the way that we are made is not sinful. And I think a lot of our sex education is all about sin management rather than about celebrating intimacy, which is what it should be. If we understood the intimacy part of sex more, um, then we wouldn't be giving these really harmful messages that end up hurting both women and men. Yeah, that's true. Sheila, this has been so good. I love everything that you've done. I love your findings. I love the, the messaging that you're putting out there to the church. It's so healthy, both for men and for women. But I love that you're also you're, you're validating women in who they are and, and, and in God's design. So we'd love to get your word out there. Uh, where can people find you and where can people find your book? Yeah, so The Great Sex Rescue is everywhere, um, <laughs> everywhere you buy books. It's doing really well. The reviews are awesome. So um, people are just finding it so validating, which is great. Um, you can find all of my blog posts and links to my courses at tolovehonorandvacuum.com. And our podcast, The Bear Marriage Podcast, is also linked there as well. So go check that out. Awesome. Thanks, Sheila. And one more thing, we love doing this sometimes, but uh, don't mean to put you on the spot here, but there's a lot of women that would be listening to this that maybe have felt a little bit beaten down with kind of some of the messaging. Just a brief thing that you would maybe say to them to, to just give them a better path or a mm-hmm. better message or even some hope for them. What, what would be your message to some women, even men out there if you want, um, in yeah. regards to this? I think our big message is it is okay to be messed up. And if you're messed up, it's not your fault. There's good reason that you're messed up. Um, we, first of all, our society is gross. (laughs) And then in the church in particular, we were given really bad messages. And so give yourself a big break. It's okay to be messed up, but the good news is you don't need to stay there. And often if we can just see the truth and understand that you are not alone and there is a much better message out there. So many women have come out on the other side. So do not give, give up, but also don't blame yourself. Mm -hmm. If you've internalized a lot of these messages, you can get over them. And again, it just, it wasn't your fault. Thanks, Sheila. Yeah, no, I I think that's, that's, very powerful and very true. And I hope that all you listening out there, you take that to heart. You really hear that um, from Sheila. And um, thanks, Sheila, for being here. Everybody, check out the book, The Great Sex Rescue. We highly recommend it. Please pick up that resource and, and spread the word. Um, we were trying to get as much impact as we can in regards to this podcast and great um, authors and speakers and guests that we have on like Sheila. So kind to these people. And thanks so much, everybody, for, for checking in with us again this week. And we will see you next time. Thanks for listening. If you would like to hear more, please visit purevictorypodcast.com to subscribe. This podcast was made possible by the generous donations of our subscribers. If you would like to help support the cause financially, once again, please visit purevictorypodcast.com.